Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. Welcome to Industry Sessions. My name is Chris Wade, and I am your Music Forward host today. We have an exciting panel today, and I'm eager to get started, so I want to invite our special industry guests to join me on camera, uh, Diana Baez, Mariana Migliore, and Rebecca Rinks. Today, we're going to delve into music placement and music supervision. We all have a soundtrack to our lives, and the panelists with us today are here to talk about um, how to combine music and visual media to set the mood and provoke the emotions we all feel with movies, TV, commercials, and video games. So let's begin with our panelists telling us a little bit more about themselves. Uh, let's start with Diana. Um, tell, us some about, tell, tell us more about your career and your journey within the industry. Sure. Thanks, Chris. And uh, hi, everybody. So, so excited to be here today um, to, just to share the quick uh, overview of my career. So I've been in music and entertainment for about 16 years now. Um, I've mostly focused in the world of synchronization. So that's placing music for film, TV and advertising. Um, I'm currently working for a, a publishing company entitled uh, Anthem Entertainment, as it says here, um, but I've been so grateful to have started my career um, at Lionsgate Music and then evolving to a small sync company, Secret Road. And um, yeah, it's been fantastic being able to work with artists who aspire to have music in film TV. And it's such a great honor to be able to have this role within the business. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Welcome. Uh, Mariana? Hi everyone, um, so glad to be here. Um, yep, my name is Mariana. I work at the creative scene team at BMG. I'm currently based in LA. And in my day to day, uh, in my current role, my job is to try to procure uh, placements in a variety of media, ranging from scripted TV to advertisements, sports TV, video games, for the songs uh, by the songwriters and artists that we represent. Um, as far as how I got here, um, I'm originally from Argentina. Uh, I was lucky enough to attend Berkeley College of Music and I majored in music business. And that's kind of where I learned about what sync and music supervision uh, was and determined myself to, to work in this industry. And I was lucky enough um, after I was finished with Berkeley to um, be hired uh, at BMG. I've been in the company for six years now. I started working in a different capacity that was supporting the scene team. And I slowly climbed my way up to being where I'm currently am. So, yeah, that's it. Welcome, Mariana. I got my master's from Berkeley International in um, Valencia, Spain. So we have oh. a little bit of previous years there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And Rebecca. Hi, everyone. Um, I am a music supervisor and have been for, I'm going to date myself, but uh, since about 2004. Um, I, to give you a little perspective, um, the way that I would work with someone like Mariana or Diana is that uh, they would be pitching to someone like me, the music that they represent in their catalogs. 
Um, so we work in tandem, but kind of on different parts of the equation. Um, I started out uh, right out of college working at Lionsgate Films and since then have gone on to be an independent music supervisor. I just came off of 10 years at NBC Entertainment and now I'm back to being independent again. So I'm excited to, to share with you a little bit of that journey. Awesome. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you very much. So I think we should just start the conversation kind of level set because we hear a lot about music supervision. Um, very trendy term right now within the industry. But um, could you explain to us actually what music supervision is and the process of how it actually works? Me? I'll let you start, Rebecca. <laughs> Uh, music supervision, what it is. Um, in gist, I would say it is the role of putting music into media projects. That could mean television show, that could mean an ad, that could mean um, a web series, that could mean a commercial, a video game, uh, film, of course. It really runs the gamut. Um, but it's really that arc of stinking music to a moment uh, in picture. Awesome. Thank you very much. And so how does a person become a music supervisor or even a music curator or someone working in sync space? So um, how did it happen for you, Rebecca? And I would love for Diana and Mariana to uh, contribute to how they got to this particular stage in their career. Well, I am just old lady enough that classes like this did not exist whenever I was in college. So I guess people today are very lucky that that kind of thing has grown to being, um, you know, known enough to warrant uh, an entire um, class for it. But I also went to um, college to study music industry. I went to USC and uh, graduated from there with a music industry degree. This didn't, you know, exist whenever I was there, but um, I very much fell into it. After school, I was figuring out what I was going to do, and I had um, been very close to one of my professors there, who was the chair of the music industry department. And long story short, he hooked me into this position that I ended up at at Lionsgate Films. And at the time, I didn't really have any concept of what music supervision was, and it really wasn't a very known and um, recognized thing at that point. It was just something that I think that people did because you wouldn't have a film that was quiet. You wouldn't have a TV show that had no music or no score or no songs in it. Clearly it was something somebody somewhere executed, but I don't really think it was a, it was a very known quantity then. So I very much fell into it. I wish I had a different or better, more compelling story for you than that, <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Sounds like you fell in the right place, though. That's the most important thing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Mariana, you want to tell your story of how you got to become um, an executive on the sync side? Yeah, so for me, uh, likewise, I, I majored, as I said, in music business, but still I felt that it was such a specific path, the one that I wanted to go into as far as sync supervision, that I felt that I needed, of course, when you're right out of college, you don't have like your resume is pretty much your education. And maybe if you did a few internships. So in my case, I, I couldn't land an internship exactly in the same world. So that wasn't helping, but at least something that I did, and I don't know if this was sneaky or not, but I was just, I would just list the classes that were pertinent to a sync job. 
So for example, music publishing, record label operations. I took a music supervision and licensing class, which was like on the nose, but perfect. So I felt that that helped when sending resumes. And as far as getting the BMG job, once they saw, okay, this is an entry level job supporting the same department. She clearly has an interest. Also at that point, I know it's tedious for every job application, but covered letters simply explaining what you want to go into. Uh, I, I was very specific, like, this is what I want to do. And I think that helped me uh, land the job at BMG. And uh, after that, it was just, uh, I always, I was support in a team that supported the same team, but still not in the same team. So I kept thinking, okay, how do I get there? So from that point, it's about just talking to people, your colleagues in, in the office and whatnot. Yeah, I, I really like the show. I really like this supervisor. I really like, uh, hey, if you're working on this show, let me make you a playlist. Even though that wasn't part of my responsibility, it's just showing that you're willing to, to do the work. And eventually it became obvious that everybody knew <laughs> that I wanted to be on that team. So I had to wait for the timing uh, you know, once the position was open, it just made sense for me to, they, they knew I wanted it. So it finally made sense for me to, to move over. And yeah, for that, I have to thank, uh, Alex Flores, who, who was in the team at the time, uh, that yeah, just brought me over. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would have to say, you know, if you want to work in sync, just trying to find, you know, from, it doesn't matter. I do interview our interns at BMG and I do get resumes that necessarily I'm not looking at the music business program or anything like that, but I do want to see at least in a cover letter or somewhere hidden in the resume an interest in music for media. Uh, and, and from there, you know, as long as you're interested in learning about it, you know, people will give you a chance. So Awesome. Yeah, I love the story. I mean, just being so focused in terms of specifically wanting to do just one particular discipline within the business. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Diana, anything you would, you would like to share? Yeah, I would. I would. Um, well, I think, you know, Mariana, I'm going to congratulate that hustle and that determination because I think in anything that you do, but especially in this particular line of work, I mean, like, you know, being uh, consistent, showing your love and going above and beyond what you're expected to do. I think those are like the great recipes, right? For any position and any field, but specifically this one where, you know, it is about uh, the drive, the hustle and the attention to detail and being able to go after that opportunity. Um, I started out a, diff a little bit differently. Um, I also went to USC, um, but I had no idea what music supervision was until literally um, the last two months of school, um, I actually started out as a broadcast journalist. So um, I think the similarity to what I wanted to do and what I do now is at that point, I wanted to share the stories of my community. So I'm Mexican-American. And, um, you know, fast forward to what I do now, I represent the, the musical stories of my artists. So I consider this job to be, um, you know, just just a gift and be able to being able to represent artists and have their music be a part of cultural moments. And I think that's what I love about sync and kind of how slowly but surely I got here. So um, I started out in the uh, broadcast uh, journalism program at USC, transitioned to communication, had a couple of great internships. Uh, one opportunity led to another. And, you know, here, here I am almost 16 years later. Um, you know, I will say um, some great ingredients that I, I hear are 
a common denominator between uh, Rebecca, Mariana, and myself are, you know, you may not always know what that next exact step is, but I think being interested being passionate, being able to communicate that to your peers, the people that are potentially going to hire you. Um, it's, you know, it's making that playlist when your job isn't to make playlists, you know, it is to have connections with your, with your professor. So you never know who they're going to know, right. That can hook you up with the next opportunity. And we have to remember that at the end of the day, this is a people business, um, we're fortunate enough to represent artists and being as um, diligent and honest as possible with the artist. And it is about taking care of supervisors like Rebecca, getting them what they need when they need it and how they want it. And I think lastly, for me at this point of my career, um, you know, for me, I think it's such an incredible honor to be able to be at the intersection of like music and culture. And I think you know, with Rebecca and Mariana and myself, that's the gift that we have that we're able to be a part of. Uh, an ecosystem that allows us to, you know, um, pitch a song, choose a song and have that be a part of something that's going to be recorded forever. I mean, like, you know, that's, that to me is amazing. And I think, you know, as long as, um, however your path is to get there, once again, I think as long as you show heart, you show hustle and you're a good person, people will see that and then will want to help you along the way. Very wise words. I agree hundred um, percent. If I'm an artist, right, and I'm trying to get my song placed, what is the process that I have to go through for, for that to happen? Um, do I contact, you know, a music supervisor? Do I contact a sync person? Like, can you help our audience really understand what that process looks like? That's a goal of theirs to have their so a, a composition synced to a visual medium. You know, I'll start if that's okay with you all, uh, Mariana and Rebecca. I think from, you know, just having worked at a boutique agency and then the kind of like, you know, mid-company music publishing company, um, you know, I think... I, I said this before, but I think it's the trust, right? It's the trust between um, the artist and the person perhaps helping them to the supervisor, right? Because, um, so there's the creative part, great music, um, but one we have to make sure that the music is going to be the best fit for the show. So the artist independently of working with someone like an agency like myself or independently, like they need to know like if their music is great for the show. And then from the other side, from the business side is making sure that they have all their paperwork in order to make sure that, you know, they do indeed have the rights to be able to send it to the soup to the supervisors so they then can, you know, pitch music. Um, but just taking it back for like my perspective, I think researching the um, sync companies that exist. Um, I've mentioned one, Secret Road is one. They are a boutique agency and you're not signing away your life. It's just literally a small deal uh, term, amount of time, like a year, 12 months that your music gets represented. And then you have this agent, so to speak, that can help represent you and work on your behalf. I think that's a really great um, first step. And then the second thing, you know, if you're still trying to figure out who those, com what those companies are, you know, having some kind of presence online, because I also hear about supervisors just finding music, right? So if you can be a part of that ecosystem, um, having a legit like IG page, SoundCloud, Spotify. Um, if you have people writing about you, you know, and having them share, share your music, I think that's also, um, another way. Yeah. I, I would just add, uh, to that. Um, 
also while you're doing the research on what uh, Diana just mentioned, like what sync uh, agencies are out there, uh, make sure you study a, a bit the roster that they have just to make sure that you're sending, you know, your music for a company that is representing a set or roster or genre that fits uh, your style, right? Because uh, that usually helps. And also, you know, one thing is to reach out blindly, you know, with, uh, with just like, hey, here's my music, you have to check it out, which, you know, just with the amount of competition that is out there, they don't. But if you're a bit more specific, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm very interested in your company. I saw that you represent blah and blah, and I'm a fan of them. I love their music and I think this is what I do. And I think that you, you could use this or I noticed you don't have this in your repertoire. So I wanted to submit my music for consideration. That sort of uh, respectful approach that shows that you investigated them, you did the research to know what they do, that you respect their time listening. I, I think that goes uh, a long way when reaching out to to either sync agencies or I was going to add uh, production music houses. Sometimes are continuously sourcing um, uh, composers or just sets of songs. Uh, you know, I know at BMG, the BMG production music uh, arm, they have their website. So for example, I would recommend going to their website and see how they package music. Typically they package it in EPs or volumes. So they do four to five songs EP of swagger, swaggery, bluesy songs. So maybe could you replicate that with your music? Could you package it in a way that it makes it easy for them? Like, hey, I have this, you know, upbeat, uplifting, anthemic set of songs that I thought would be good for a package like the ones you have in your website. Always going back to what they're already doing so that uh, they know that you you are aware. So, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Rebecca, any thoughts on how an artist can get their song placed? Um, I'm going to back it up even further and say that there's um, a whole life that needs to happen before anybody even attempts to do that. <clears throat> because uh, first and foremost, it's super important for every artist to self-educate about how best to capitalize and exploit their own art. It is no one's job on this panel to do that for you. And it is very hard to uh, come off of the first impression of contacting someone and having them interested in your music, only to then find out that you don't have your business affairs together. You don't understand if you own your recordings. You have a co-writer you think you're not sure, or maybe the producer is getting a part of this. All those boring nuts and bolts things and those publishing classes that you've maybe taken and all that business affairs stuff that is a snore to you, we have to, the three of us have to navigate day in and day out. And it kills good ideas and great music all the time. So first and foremost, know what you're doing, know what you have and have it packaged so that hopefully you get somebody on the hook and they're interested. And then you can say, I got it all ready to go. I know I have it packaged for you. I know exactly what the splits are for this. I've got the recording for that. I've got the instrumental for that ready to go because you only have one opportunity to make a first impression with anybody. And, you know, they've, the two ladies have already said everything that needs to say for sure about what it means and uh, how relevant it is to contact sync agents. I will say that just 
to get at someone in my position expressly is very hard simply because we have a very luxury problem. All three of us have the luxury problem of being inundated by music all day, every day. This is a great problem to have as far as I'm concerned, but it just ends up meaning that there's a lot of noise to cut through because, you know, me, I, I've been doing this for 15 years. Every single person that I've ever met that might think that it could be, I don't want to say useful, but you know what I mean? That we might have the opportunity to work together. I get emails from managers, publishers, sync people, other music supervisors, labels, agencies, production, music people. You're in this rarefied space, thankfully, where there's a host of people in the entertainment industry who would have reason to work with you and it's valuable to them for them, their company or their artist. So the sheer volume of email that I get day in and day out with hopefully great music, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it is an unwinnable war to attempt to get through it all. So also don't take that personally if you don't hear back from somebody or it takes a minute or if you, you know, you're questioning whether you should or shouldn't follow up. It's just one of those things. There's um, there's a lot of information flying around. <laughs> Thank you for that. So there's a question from uh, the audience from Ellen Hiller. It says, hi, I'm intrigued and curious to learn more about what these careers entail and if those of us who are versed in other fields and backgrounds such as social work and education can enter these. Anyone can feel free to take that one. You know, yeah, I, I will uh, answer that. So um, it is my particular belief that in music, it doesn't really, um, there's no like specific thing that I think you need to know, learn, right? Study. Although obviously music publishing, music rights, incredibly important. But I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I think um, knowing the, eventually knowing the business, so taking a class, reading a book about the business isn't essentially important. And like, and like everything else is all about people. So, you know, doing research on LinkedIn or on Instagram on executives that you like, um, studios, production, artists, teams, managers, right? So it really starts doing like the, the due diligence of like trying to figure out, okay, how do I get connected with these people? Um, you know, for me, I, I've been in positions where I've hired people before and Personally, for me, what I'm look, what I look for in somebody independently of their educational background is, or even maybe experience, is passion, drive, and the ability to learn. And do they give off good vibes? I don't know if that's a little bit too like, you know, woo woo. But I think you know, as Rebecca just made clear, it's like you know, we are in positions of luxury where um, there's a constant flow of information coming our way, a great amount of talent. And, you know, we need great people on our teams to be able to like undertake that and do the best job possible for those artists that we work with and the supervisors that we get the opportunity to work with as well. So um, having said that, yes, it doesn't matter what your background, but definitely like if you're serious about this, take a class. There's plenty of classes now that you know, have to do with publishing and, and such, um, read a book, um, look up interviews from your favorite supervisors or favorite show supervisors and, um, you know, show that, um, while you may not have the work experience, you have the desired determination and you've done your homework to be in those conversations. Thank you very much. So another question came in, it's kind of 
part of something you just said, Diana. The question is from IN, did you get listening fatigue and how do you decide what to listen to? Um, what resources are the most useful to you? And I'm sure everyone can answer this question because I, you listen to a lot of stuff, I'm sure, all the time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, do I get listening fatigue? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like um, like Rebecca said, uh, we just get, I can't imagine Rebecca's inbox, but from only being at BMG on the pitching side, my inbox is full of music. So I can't imagine what it would be if you're receiving that from every label and, and publisher. So it gets, it's, it's pretty intense. And I have to say, uh, due to the volume of music, I find myself listening to skipping through songs and listening to 30 second snippets, which is not the ideal way to, to listen to music. From the creative scene perspective, uh, at my role, I have to, as far as the sources, I have to listen to what we control because that's ultimately what I can service, what I should be servicing to, to uh, the clients that we work with. So that comes via, you know, we are a hybrid, we are a record label and a publisher. So whether we have direct relationships with the songwriters themselves and they send us the new music that they're writing, they send us demo. Sometimes we reach out to them saying, hey, I'm working on this upcoming video game. I need tracks like this. Can you send me what you have? So we source uh, that. But also there's constant internal communication uh, from label reps just letting us know upcoming single, upcoming album. Um, there's also teams that do specific uh, playlists just to bring, make us aware of some catalogs that either are new to the company or maybe some gems that they want to increase the sync activity on. So the sync team is always getting exposed to listen to this, check this out. And just we're trying to get our focus or our attention to certain parts of the catalog that the company wants us to increase the sync activity for. Um, as far as on the, on the personal side of, of how I source just music that I like for my own pleasure is the usual Spotify and reading blogs and just... Uh, magazines and whatnot, but for for my day to day, I would say it's mainly what's in the BMG uh, universe. Got it. Sure, I'll share just a quick, just probably very similar. Um, you know, there's definitely moments where you know, with what we do, we have we have deadlines probably from the hour to hour, right? At least from the pitching side as well. And you know, hopefully, we do get the opportunities to work with like the Rebecca's of the world. Um, and so we're very, you know, obviously fortunate if um, we're able to do that. Um, so it is kind of interesting because you have to kind of cleanse your your sonic palette to work on the next project because something can one can be like hip hop, the next is like rock, and the next like classical. So being able to pivot is really important and have like a buffer in between that. Um, since working at home, to be honest with you, I have TV on sometimes just so I can kind of like sonically just different differentiate. Um, but literally for music, I'm playing that like when I wake up and before I go to bed. Um, I listen on my own. I listen to a lot of Latin music and a lot of music from the UK. And then likewise, Instagram, Tidal, Spotify, and then following people that I like on Instagram and like seeing who they're liking. Right. So that's how I kind of check out new music as well. Um, I use so many ways to find music. Um, 
back in the days when we could go to shows. It's coming back. It's coming back. But back in the day when we used to go to shows in the back times, I'm the person that would see a hundred plus shows a year. And I'm a very, very, very big live music person. And I firmly believe if you like a band and you're going to see them live, research the opening band. Who's the opening band? Who's opening for the band that you like? Like get acquainted with that. Um, A few years ago, I started doing this thing on Twitter called Morning Wake Up, where I forced myself five days a week during the work week. I would get up in the morning. I'm getting ready for work. And I would play a new record and I would tweet about it. And it was like this kind of alone time for myself where I actually got to listen to a whole record and not do the thing that we all three do, which is that 30 second, like getting acquainted, getting acquainted, next, 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 next. So I still do that. And I listen to at least one new artist or record a day that I try and listen to in full. Um, I do a thing called Spotify Roulette. And sometimes I'll just put like a letter or two into Spotify and the first artist that comes up that I don't recognize, I'll listen to that and check that out. Uh, Spotify also has a really dope feature that you can go into their top lists and it'll pull up the viral 50 and the top 50 from like tons of countries. You can listen to Greece and the Philippines and Portugal and all these places and just see what is tracking there and get acquainted with music in other territories and other countries. Um, And in general, I'm just, I'm a very voracious consumer of music and there's super value in understanding the breadth of music because to really be in a role like this, um, I want to debunk now the idea that this type of job is only for people who think they make great playlists or think they have great taste or that um, they, you know, they listen to great music and they feel, feel like it would go in a certain place and it would look, be great in this show or in this commercial. That's clearly part of it, but you have to be in a lot of ways musically agnostic. You can't just listen to things you like all day. I don't listen to things I like all day. None of us do. So there is value to understanding the depth of decades, the depths of styles of music, and being able to talk in some sort of educated fashion about any and all of it. So if there's a period of music that I'm not familiar with and I have time, I'll often just go, okay, well, I'm going to go listen to big band music from the 40s and just check it out so I know. Or, you know, I'm going to listen to some, uh, you know, like deep Afrobeat and just see if something dope is happening there. Just so if somebody asks me for something, I'm going to have some place to start. It, it, it is about exploration. It's not just about consuming the thing that you like, for sure. And you know, it's funny, Rebecca, you, I was going to ask, that was, that was my, go ahead. You got it. No, as you said, the thing that you like or the thing that you know, you know, always try to expand. That was, I was just about to ask that question because most people tend to like maybe a couple of genres, maybe you know five at most for you know even like a really good music listener where you have to really kind of know a little bit about everything. You know, like how would how does one get to that level of skill where they can listen to a song that may not be something they're familiar with from a genre that they really know very well, but also identify how the song can fit well in a particular you know video or film or tv like how is that how do you train your ear to get to to get to that level of science about it 
Um, I think it really just comes with the time and experience of understanding what augments picture, you know, um, that's also part of the fun of it is trying things on and seeing how they fit. Right. But you, again, it comes back to that depth of knowledge and that passion for constantly consuming and learning because it's infinite. It is infinite. And we talked before um, everyone hopped on to the to the, the chat that you know this uh, this viewing audience is uh, is is people who are pretty young. We often would have interns and stuff at my office that you know I'd say that something sounds like the Talking Heads or whatever, and they're like, "Who's that?" Leave this office, go listen to the Talking Heads, and then come back, and then we'll go back to work. Like, it, it, you know, educate yourself about what's out there and then you get a greater depth of understanding about where you, the places are that you could go with a visual media, you know, like where you could take it. Love it. Thank you very much. Um, kind of going back more to the, the placement side, uh, if I'm an artist and I'm interested in getting placed, right? Do I need to be signed to a label, have a publishing deal, or can I be independent and get my, my excuse me, my music placed in um, a film or TV show or ad? Um, I'm happy to start on this one. Uh, so the answer is no, you don't necessarily have to be signed to a label or a publisher to, to get placed. But uh, as Rebecca was mentioning, the fact that um, knowing what you're doing a little bit. So you can't just, uh, you know, say you're producing music, you're sampling stuff that you like, and you want to send that for consideration. You have no idea about the fact that you need to get right clearances for those samples, that that won't be able to get licensed, that sort of stuff. So uh, you can totally get placed, but just you still have to um, get educated about the rights that you represent, that you control, and how those ultimately will get licensed. I would say the benefit of being signed is that uh, to a publisher or a label is that there will always be somebody guiding you through that process. And also as far as you know, making sure that the music gets to the right ears, there will be already an existing lane or relationship with a music supervisor you know, through that label or publisher to get your music submitted, which gives you, you know, you're starting at a different point that whether you're going the totally independent route. So, uh, but both are possible. It's just that, yeah, the, the step of still learning about the, the business, you, you still have to educate uh, yourself on that for, you know, and we've talked about reaching out and how to present yourself. So it goes back to that a little bit. Yeah, just to add just one last thing, just to close that off is, you know, as I mentioned, I worked for a company called Secret Road, boutique company. They acted as just like representatives. They didn't have any ownership of music. I think that's a different um, uh, differentiation, right? When you're signed to a label or to a publishing company, you're basically sharing your ownership of music with this entity because they're giving you money, right? And a company like just sync companies, really they should only be taking a commission of, you know, if, if something lands like 
uh, on a TV show. They should only be taking a, like a percentage of the overall monies, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think the same thing. And the, the idea is the same. They are there to guide you and hopefully help you um, have your paperwork in order. So I just want to just say the last thing is we keep talking about, you know, rights in this. The reason is because, right, we don't want the companies, companies don't want to get sued, right? Or to bring down projects or products because that's like, can be a million dollar cost. That's why we talk about having your paperwork in order because so many deals have been lost. That's what Rebecca was saying. Um, when things are not in order. So, I mean, a hundred percent, like the art is the art and is incredibly important, but you need to 50% have that like coupled with making sure everything is like super tight. So then the business part of it can be smooth. So that's incredibly important. Thank you. And so, second, sorry. Oh, I lost my question, Joe. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, if if I'm an artist, and how how do I know that my music is good for being placed? Because you know, every song is not really good for a TV spot or what have you. But what are the the signals um, that you get from songs that let you know? This is a good song that can be placed or should be considered for placement. Like, how does an artist start to develop that understanding of their music? I'll start if that's cool. Oh, Rebecca, you go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, this is from just from from this standpoint. So, as I mentioned, you know, um, I knew I wanted to at some point work in music, but you know, at the end of the day, I think it's kind of the idea of you have to be your biggest fan and your biggest believer. I think you start there. Um, so I think you need to believe that. And, you know, uh, but in addition to that, I think, I think the fact that you just asked that question, like being self-reflective. So, you know, um, I, I think there's things, music that's just undeniable and it's going to work no matter what. Right. And I think the other thing too, is being like listening, right. Are you watching TV? Are you watching commercials? Are you listening to video games? Like, what do you notice? Right. And so I'll say, for example, um, for film and TV, usually, um, is there, or are there, uh, universal themes, right? Are the universal themes, is there a story? Um, would it, would it work well uh, to dialogue or do you have just the instrumental only of the music that could really help uplift a scene? So if you're a singer songwriter and I don't know, like Grey's Anatomy, like does your music fit in that world? Okay. You start developing like, you know, a curation for ads or promos for TV or film. You notice that they're hooky songs that get to the point and that helps drive, you know, the, the, uh, visual forward so it's like knowing like you know hopefully you're just like an avid or that you're watching things that you enjoy already and kind of picking out like oh yeah like you know this brand always uses this kind of music is my music this way you know and so i think asking those questions thank you anyone else have a perspective on how an artist knows if their music is good for licensing I think it is a um, it is a double-edged sword question because you really shouldn't be thinking about that. You should be making music that is organic and authentic to you, and not making something that is 
purposeful or paint by numbers. You know, we, we get inundated with stuff that is, you know, bent for sink, made for sink, you know, especially created for sink. And at a certain point, all of that becomes one sonic pellet. So, uh, I personally just don't think that you shouldn't even think about that. You should just be making music that speaks to to you. And, you know, truthfully, there's only a handful of genres that I've ever come across that it's just like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. <laughs> there's, it feels like in, it depends on the project and depends on where you're going with it. Cause certain brands have a certain type of style and equity and certain shows, of course, have a curated sound as the ladies have mentioned, you, you know, you need to self-educate about watching those things and thinking like, would my music fit there? But, uh, as far as anybody, mm, you know, pivoting their artistry to make it more friendly to film and TV. Um, I actually am not a fan of that. I think that you should just do, do you, and hopefully it will fall into place. And to back it up to your original or your previous question about, you know, labels and publishers, um, no offense to the publisher ladies and to the soon to be record executive over here, Miss Diana, but uh, the barrier to entry to becoming a successful musician is so vastly different than when any of us even started in this business. You don't really have to be on a label or be with a publisher to, um, to grow your own audience and to gain steam. Um, it really should just be about you building your sound, you building your audience, you finding the people that uh, naturally gravitate to what you're doing and then finding ways to wield and harness that and propel it forward for yourself. And if a label is part of that or a publisher is part of that or a sync representative is part of that, more power to you. But it is not, you know, that's, that's like old music business concept that you have to get signed to a label to be able to do anything. It's just not the way it is anymore. Especially if you're doing what you need to do online. So. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So to that point, when you are looking um, at artists or searching for artists on social media, what are the things you're looking for um, on their profiles that make you Pay, pay attention or may say, I want to listen more to that catalog and see if there's something there that I can use. Anybody? <laughs> Actually more shocked than anything that, that so many artists have music out there and no contact information. Oh. It is shocking to me that you would deign to put something out into the world that you're asking people to participate in or experience and hope that something happens for you. But then someone like me or one of us can't email you about it, <laughs> can't contact you about it. Um, or, you know, it goes into some black hole of a DM or, you know, you're, uh, we've, we've all tweeted to people, you've slid into people's DMs, you're trying to get people to respond to you. And this happens at every level. This happens with people that you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I, I'm bringing somebody an opportunity. This is going to be great for them. This is going to be great for me. This is great for this project all the way up to massive stars. And it's, um, 
it is a common problem. Have your contact info. <laughs> That's a must. <laughs> Mariana? I wanted to add, yeah, I, I had a situation uh, last year in which, uh, from a publisher perspective, I'm oftentimes pitching covers of our copyrights. So I found this really cool cover. I bought it from iTunes. I pitched it to a client. They wanted uh, to license it, but they were like, can you help us track the master information? Because we can't find it anywhere. And I remember I, yeah, I spent like two days messaging. I messaged the band on Instagram and Facebook, no response. Then I found who the individual members were, tried to find them, each one of them, messaged all of them. It took me like three days finally for someone to respond. And it's, that would be as easy. I understand that you can't put like your phone or your personal email uh, if you're in a band and hopefully, you know, you're getting a following, you don't want to get bombarded, but at least having a, an email that you make that for licensing inquiries, reach out to that um, or, you know, for, yeah, in, in booking inquiries, just having something that, that people that are interested in either hiring you for a show or license your music and reach out because yeah it's same as Rebecca it's it's pretty amazing when the, the music is out there and it's great but there's like no way to contact the band <laughs> thank you I am any perspective on that in terms of social media what you're looking for yeah um you know what I think it's always kind of like um there's no there's no science to it but I think it's like a feeling right so as an example as I'm like watching something on TV and I just happen to be scrolling through whatever, like Instagram or Spotify, if it makes me like do like a double take sonically, sure. Like I always kind of like, Oh, like who's this? What's this? Um, you know, for me, I think Rebecca said it well, it's like, it's an exploration, but it's, I think at the end of the day, it's a feeling right. Like for me at least. Right. Um, not just from things that I personally love, but things that are just like interesting. And, um, you know, in, in, in my, what I do, um, you know, we, we do have a lot of music that comes, comes through. And so I kind of, you know, in terms of signing, I, I rely on like my contacts for, for suggestions and, or just random submissions. And we have listening sessions as teams. So from a work perspective, we try to gather everything up, we there's somebody that does kind of like a pre-clear of like sonic sounds and then like we listen through and how we judge what we sign for example is um is this interesting do we have the sound already do we not and you know is it something that um we feel that our supervisor friends are asking for right and then or sometimes you just take a chance on something because you like it um and again just for me just in terms of you know, being a lover of music, as I said, um, as I'm just scrolling through and I sonically, I do a double take, I'll always go back. I'm like, oh, like, who's this? What's this? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. We're now going to open it up the questions to one of our students. Um, so can you please come up and ask some questions to our panelists? Hi, guys. Um, thank you so much for speaking today it's been so great learning more about what you guys do it's so cool um so my question is diana touched uh, a bit on how working in sync and music supervision is kind of like an ecosystem of culture and storytelling in general so do you guys ever consider the impact of creating more representation um, for women or people of color when you're placing music 
yeah, of course. I think that we are thankfully in um, a, a very rarefied part of the entertainment industry where there's already a lot of parity when it comes to at least um, the, the, the gender aspect. There's so many, both women and men that are um, uh, part of the music supervision community. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's not just the music supervisor and creative sync community's job to help create that diversity and that parity among hearing and seeing and experiencing more of these voices. It's a, it's a collaborative effort that starts with the types of projects that are greenlit, the executive level at studios and things and who they're um, casting and bringing in to do score and to be music supervisor. I mean, it's, um, it's a mixture of all of those things together, but the music supervisor, for instance, is definitely someone who has to be working with a whole host of people on a project. It's not just, you know, one of my old bosses used the term that uh, you're always painting someone else's house. You know, like all three of us are painting someone else's house. So at the end of the day, I can present a lot of great options when it comes to this style of paint and this color and this type of song. And what if we did it this way? But you're always in some way, shape or form, the three of us in our own path are always having to collaborate and working with someone else to realize their vision. So it is a very collaborative um, push forward to, to make that diversity happen and that's one of the joys of music and that's why that's why it's so great to be educated about music of all types because you want to as a music professional be the person that pushes that forward Hi, yeah you know that's such a great question um I think the best that I can answer it is, you know, especially with like last year and what's been happening happening on a social and political level, I will say that it's been interesting, at least with some of the supervisors um, and their projects that they work on, that they have been mindful of making sure that vocally their sounds that are representative of like groups that have, you know, maybe not have had as much representation, um, whether that be um, women, LG, LGBTQ plus, um, um, Latino, African-American. And so I think there has been, um, I think we're, we're having those conversations to make sure that, you know, um, that sonically that, that, that does exist. So I think in terms of like, for me, at least that causes me to question, okay, I'm looking at our roster and I'm chatting with my team. I'm just like, okay, are we, di are we diverse enough? Right from sound to um, how we represent ourselves, right? Uh, the gender and so forth, um, culturally. And so, you know, I think as Rebecca was saying, it is, um, there's a lot of different components in it, but I think the wonderful thing is those questions are being posed and causing us to reflect as well. So then therefore we'll be in positions to say, you know what, we, we really should be able to look at this and realize that we really should, you know, um, be mindful of being able to represent these, these types of music. So I think, um, we, we, we still have ways to go, but we're, I think on the path. Yeah. And on my side, uh, as, yeah, as Rebecca was saying, as much as we, we could try to make, uh, you know, playlists as diverse as possible, but ultimately we're contrived by, you know, the certain direction of some projects where they're asking, 
say they're asking, we want male vocals for the search. It's like, okay, I have to follow that guideline. But I do have to say that uh, more and more I'm seeing searches, uh, especially probably it's more in the advertisement space that are asking for uh, more uh, diverse options and whatnot. And when I do notice a gap in our repertoire, I usually go and complain to our A&R department. Just letting them know, like, hey, I was working on this and I realized that we don't have any females in this uh, genre or, you know, I couldn't find that many. How come we don't have anybody that represents this group? So, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of letting them know, like, hey, there's a, there's a demand. Like, we have seen clients asking for this. We don't have anything. Like, what can we do about it? So those are conversations I have to say are very recent since last year that I'm seeing are opening up and, you know, uh, yeah, and that those started happening. So. If I, if I can add to that quickly, I was just, thank you, Mariana. I was just reminded of something. I don't know if it was like Twitter or Instagram last year, for those of you who are like fans of Cardi B and like artists like Rhapsody. Right. And I guess the question, I, I forget which artist made the comment or a question of like, why don't you go make more music? That's like X, Y, Z like Rhapsody, right? Like more like conscientious type of music. Mm. And she was like, one was, that's the kind of music I want to make. So, you know, that's respect. And the second thing is like, and that's what people want to listen to. So, you know, going back to the idea that everybody has a part to play in this, it's like, you know, um, things, art aside for a second, art aside for a second, the things that we as a society choose to contribute to, to purchase, to lend our time to, to lend our ears to, um, that is all, you know, you have to understand that we all are all being catered to based on who's participating in this ecosystem of life, right? In the economy and culture consumption. And so a hundred percent, those of us who are in positions of decision-making, that responsibility is a hundred percent on us. But I think also as a, as a conscientious member of just like society, it's like, we also need to invest in the things that we want more of. So I for sure bet you that, uh, I don't know, like Dove, for example, right? Like they have made campaigns that are inclusive of all body types and, and cultures and so forth. And so they got the memo that if, if they want their products to sell, then they need to be making creative campaigns that are gonna be um, as widely representative as possible. So going back to the question, circle around is a hundred percent on us, but we invite listeners and fans to also contribute to that with what they choose to buy and listen and go and go see live. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think it's really interesting how um, music supervisors and people who work in sync have to think about culture in general and the climate of um, pop culture and all that kind of stuff when thinking about um, placing music and how diversity plays into everything. So thank you guys for answering. Thank you, Mia. Um, so one last question before we go. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, we want to acknowledge the fact that this, that May is Mental Health Awareness Month and everyone knows that the music industry can be a very stressful uh, business. I would like to know um, how you all take care of yourselves, especially your mental health, um, just to make sure that you're you know, staying in tip-top shape to do the best work. And what's your best piece of advice on, to young people about how to develop those practices early? 
Anyone can start. <laughs> what a deep question. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that you have to just kind of, you can't be stuck inside the house in front of the computer. You know, you have to get out. You have to get out and not just be in front of a device all day. No offense, we're all in front of devices right now. But uh, that's been the most important thing to me just in the months and months and months and months of working from home is that at some point you have to just stop working. Um, similarly with listening to music, you know, being in a position such as this uh, will irrevocably change the way that you consume music that for better or worse. You know, we're all whether we want to or not, are probably listening to music with a more discerning ear than just the average consumer who's listening to the radio or listening to something that they enjoy. Um, so there's value in just distancing yourself from your work. Uh, I think you have to do that in order to stay enjoying your work because creative passions, while they are creative and you are being passionate about what you do are still a grind in their own way and can, um, can be, uh, can be a grind, can be a grind, you know, and you need to retain that interest and that love in what you're doing. And if that means that you need to just take a little space from actually being at work, don't be at work. Great point. Mariana, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, uh, it's funny because the minute you asked this question, I went to the participants list to make sure if there were any coworkers connected. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Diana, you do <laughs> just to, to be able to talk openly. But um, I have to say, uh, in, in anything, uh, any type of work uh, that we're doing, I'm sure this happened to everybody. The burnout at some point was very real. And I don't know if it was because we just went through a pandemic and, you know, questions about job security and whatnot. I just dived into work so much that it got, it got to a point that it wasn't healthy and I got really burnt out. So I realized uh, that was wrong. So I'm not doing that anymore. And, um, you know, just learning that uh, there's something about, you know, feeling lucky about the job that you do. Uh, I, I struggle with this a lot. I'm, I feel super lucky, but then I feel that because of that, I have to give my life to it. And then I end up, that doesn't work. I, I end up getting burnt out and depressed and whatnot. So something that I learned is that I love what I do, but I'm ultimately not what I, what I do or what I'm making. I'm, I'm a person first. So just setting limits to, okay, you know, today I, I did everything that I wanted to do at six. I'm going to disconnect. Like, I'm sorry, but I need to disconnect and do something else other than work because there's a beautiful life out there. Uh, so just trying to set limits and, and knowing, being aware of myself and my thinking uh, when I go into that spiral of, well, but this is, this is what I want to do and I need to work more and I need to send that email and then it, just stopping it and know that you're doing enough. You are enough as a person, regardless of your job or your activity. And, and that's it. And taking a chill pill and just like, um, yeah, not 
not being just being aware of that feeling of of having to overwork and uh, whatnot. Uh, thankfully, at BMG, uh, there's some resource, very useful resources that they give us. Uh, they gave us access to apps like Headspace and meditation and yoga and things like that. That uh, once again, dealing with this balance of the guiltiness of well, but they're giving me yoga, but I feel guilty that I'm going to take an hour to do it. It's literally like, no, just stop. They are offering it. Just take it. Just do it. It's for you. It's for your well-being. So, so yeah. <laughs> Mariana, I wish I, when I was, I, I, I wish I've heard that. I wish I would have heard that conversation much earlier in my life. So thank you for saying that. I mean, you dropped a lot of really good advice. Um, you know, I think, for myself specifically, um, you know, I'm at an age now where there's things that I, that I decide to invest in. And I think, you know, Rebecca was saying one, like literally like going outside, seeing the sun, you know, moving your body, I think is incredibly important. Um, you know, I, I, I meditate. Uh, so I find that very helpful and it's not that I'm good at meditation, but the idea of just like pausing for a second, um, I think it's great. And I think also for those of you who are uh, artists, you know, I think, um, there's a lot of opportunity in that, like in between of like doing where you can really just kind of like be and be inspired again. Um, and then I think likewise, it's very real, this, um, you know, and I talked about hustling, but I think there is, there is something where you do overdo it. And I think that can actually lead to really like curtailing your advancement in your career. So I think, you know, this idea of like, um, you know, I think, and that's what you have to like assess, like how much is too much. Right. Um, I know for, for some artists that music is their life and, um, you know, that's, that is how they represent themselves to the world. But I think you're right. I think in order to be, um, a fully realized individual, I think there needs to be attention to all parts of our life and, um, the power of writing. I just learned this. Um, I have my own, um, holistic coach and the power of just like jotting things down. So you're like free up your space is, um, an incredible exercise. Um, and then for me, I have a therapist, so, you know, uh, great investment as well. So for those of you who are able to, I think talking to somebody um, who doesn't know you, who won't judge you and um, a safe, to have a safe space would be incredible. Awesome. Great answers for everybody. Uh, I really appreciate you all being you know, vulnerable and candid about what worked for you and giving advice to our, to our students. Uh, unfortunately, this is the end of the time that we have. I would love to talk a lot longer, but we have to say goodbye. Um, thank you to each of you for sharing your insights and for everyone joining us today. 